You guys can grab a seat. It's so good to worship with you. And uh, man, welcome, welcome, welcome to Christ Church. Whether you're uh, here in the room or, or joining us online, we're glad you're here. Happy Thanksgiving uh, weekend and uh, thankful for you, uh, thankful for uh, this church, thankful for the gospel, uh, thankful most of all for Jesus. Amen. And those things we get to sing about, they are true and uh, thankful for God's Word that guides us and leads us. And uh, if you've got a copy of God's Word, just get it open to Colossians chapter 1. That's in the New Testament. We'll get there in a few moments. Um, I want to make sure you know where we're at and where we're going. Um, uh, taking Aim is, uh, is our series. And uh, uh, taking aim, at n- not just randomly at a random target, but we're taking aim uh, specifically and clearly... Uh, taking aim at what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Like, what does it actually look like? And we're not rushing here. We're taking time to slow our breathing and taking time to focus in on the target and uh, carefully examining the center, the, the, the heart of discipleship, and then releasing our lives to hit the mark. You know, a lot of conversation in our a church amongst a variety of people is um, some hunting stories, and I know I've heard of some uh, hunting stories in our church, but more important uh, than uh, taking aim to, uh, to fill your freezer with more uh, deer meat um, is to take aim to uh, fill your hearts and lives with more of Jesus. That is the most important thing, and there is never a start and end to that season. And the center of discipleship, as we talk about in our church, is to draw near to Christ, to know the work of Christ, to become like Christ, and then to live for Christ. And, and, and we, we've spent the last few weeks uh, considering drawing near to Christ, and now um, we're moving to talk about what does it look like to know the work of Christ. I have a theme verse for this, Mark, um, not in Colossians, it's in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 2. Chapter 2, verse 2, Paul wrote this, kind of introducing himself to the church in Corinth. He said, I, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Think about that statement. Amidst all the things that that you could know about in this world, all the topics to study, all of the books to read, all the expertise that you could gain, the Apostle Paul shows you the best focus for what you can know the life and work of Jesus Christ, especially his death on the cross. If there's anything that's more that I felt God doing more in my life over the past 10 years um, and in, in ministry also is just sort of the spirit of God going, no, 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 no. Get your focus back on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Get your eyes back on that. Get the people's eyes back on that. Get your family's eyes back on that. Get the people you're ministering to their eyes back on that. Christ and Him crucified. And so we're going to look in these next coming, in these coming weeks at the, at the work of Jesus Christ so that we know it. So it changes the way that we live. And so let's get started on this mark in Colossians. Now, the book of Colossians has a special place in my heart because this was the, uh, the book that we first taught through when we launched this church. And so eight years ago, I remember um, I'm opening up to the book of Colossians, being like, what in the world am I doing? I have no clue. 
and just try in my best in the Lord's strength to, to preach through this book, and it sets such a great foundation for our church. And today we're going to work through a phenomenal section that I still remember preaching through as I was reflecting this week. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Follow along with me. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so this morning, as we start to unfold this knowing the work of Christ, let me put this in front of you, this big idea. Christ, my creator, deserves the highest authority in my life. Christ, my creator, deserves the highest authority in my life. Two critical responses, and then we're going to conclude with communion. Two critical responses, and we're going to conclude with communion. First, stand in awe of his supremacy. Now, a little Bible study um, uh, help uh, for you this morning is um, not all verses, all verses are created equal when it comes to the fact that they're, they're, they're given to us through the work of the Holy Spirit and they're true, but not all v- verses have the same amount of impact in our lives. And, or, or I like to say it like this, not all, when you squeeze some verses, you get differing amounts of juice from them, okay? It's not always the same. And, and this verse has a lot of juice. Look at this. First, it tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus looks like or represents God. Hebrews 1.3, I love Hebrews 1.3 reinforces this passage. It says, he is the radiance, the picture is beautiful, of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. You go to a copy machine and you're like, I want to copy this. You put it down, you pull the thing down, you hit the button, and then out comes the copy of that. And Jesus is the exact imprint of the character of God. When we see things in the work of Christ, they show us not just of the reality of who Christ is, but also of the identity and the character of God. Jesus is the perfect picture of God. No imperfections, perfect representation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Second, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. I'm a firstborn in my family. I have two little brothers. Now, how many other firstborns in the room? Like, like, raise your hands up. Get them up high. Now everyone knows the identities of the bossy, overbearing people. Okay, I got my hand up too. I'm with you. Some of you are like, dang it, I got tricked this morning. Never putting my hand up again in church. And, um, okay, so jokes aside, um, and, and here's the reason why. Because that's the wrong definition of firstborn here. The, the, the definition of firstborn here in Colossians 1 is not first in order of being born. We are firstborns, those of us who raise our hands, because we were born first in our family of origin. 
And we love to remind our younger siblings of that all the time. And there's a level of oppression that comes from being the firstborn that we embrace fully. But, but Jesus can't be a firstborn according to that definition because he was, he's eternal. So firstborn has to mean something different. See, many cults like, um, many cults and false teachings you know, cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses have misapplied this verse regarding, to, regarding Jesus. And firstborn in this context is referring to Christ's supremacy over all creation. It's like first above all others, not first in origin. This, this section of Colossians actually was a response by Paul to a false teaching in the church at the time. And the false teaching was diminishing the person of, and work of Jesus Christ. And what Paul was doing in this passage is he's like, no, 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 no. Lift up the person and work of Christ. Paul's declaring here the unquestionable supremacy of Christ. He's supreme over all creation. He's God. He's the image that allows us to see the reality and character of God. Christ's supremacy must be respected and affirmed in the church. Amen? That's like the name of our church. We're like, what are you about? Christ. Church. Stand in awe of His supremacy. Stand in awe of His supremacy. I want you to think about a moment in your life where you were standing in awe. Just think about it for a moment. You're just standing in awe. Many of us, when we think about that, we, we think about moments in God's creation. Every time I look at the expanse of Lake Michigan, I stand in awe. Like this picture. This is like a, a good picture of that. And you're just like, wow. It's the expanse. It seems like it has no end. And, and I've had a few opportunities to be, um, to visit Colorado, so I have a brother that's out there, and, and to, to be in Colorado and look out at the mountain peaks around me is a moment of awe. Just to be like, what? Or I, I think about a moment, um, the moment in my life of, um, of being there at the birth of my four kids. And I stood in awe as I held each of them for the first time and a measure of fear too. Like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and there's an awe in the miracle of life. And you get lost in the bigness of these moments. There's a deep joy and peace that actually comes when you, when you recognize and, and it kind of can come over your mind and your heart when you get lost in the bigness of those awe moments, particularly when observing those things as an aspect of God's creation. And, and I, think, I think what we need to do more is, is learn to just stand still before God in awe. I, I think this, these moments, if we, if we just sit in them a little bit, can be transforming and actually be a conduit into which God wants to bring joy and peace into our lives. It's just to stop and just to stand in awe, not just of the, of the creation, but the creator that stands over the creation. To make that connection changes everything. 
I, I think in our, in our lives and in our world, we just need to take time and set aside time just to stand in awe. It doesn't mean that you stand on your feet with your hands up and are like, oh, that's so amazing. It doesn't mean you have to have a look on your face of awe. It doesn't mean that oohs and ahs have to come out of your mouth. It means that you, watch this, that you're attentive to the reality of Christ's supremacy as creator with reverence. You're attentive to to the reality, you've made the connection that, that what you're seeing or observing or the moment that you're in is a result of Christ's supremacy as creator and there's reverence that comes and in that moment, you catch a glimpse of the invisible God and that He's supreme over all creation and in that moment, it's right just to stop and silence and quiet and just take it in. It helps you gain perspective. This week, some things were mulling around in my head, and I was feeling a level of anxiousness, and I just took a walk, just took a hike, all by myself, out in creation, and there were just a few moments when I just stopped, and it was still, and there was no one around, and in that moment, making the connection to the reality of who God is brought peace to my life, and I had to slow down to take it in. That he created the entire earth, and as I was staring up at the trees that seemed to, in an amazing way, even with the leaves off of them, be reaching out for the heavens was a lesson to me of the posture of my own heart. To stand in awe, to realize that he created every, every, every lake and ocean and every mountain peak. He gives life. He, he stands in awe and I want to come back here often because we cannot minimize the greatness of Christ over our lives or we lose perspective. That, he, that, that Christ, even in himself, in his own, even in his own work, he was sent into our world. He was willing to die on the cross and then rising from the dead. That's not normal. And just stand in awe and breathe that in. To delight in the supremacy of Christ. There's no one higher. And in those moments, we just declare, Christ, my creator, deserves the highest authority in my life. I stand in awe of his supremacy. And second this, I surrender before his authority. I surrender before his authority. I, I want you to see as we walk through these next verses, I want, you to walk how, I want you to watch how the revelation in the Word begins to draw you to surrender. I think sometimes we misunderstand surrender. Surrender seems like something you do when you've got no other choice. When you're backed into a corner and you're like, hands up. Like we think about surrender like that or we think about submit as something where you are pressed to do something in a manipulative or forceful way. It's way more beautiful than that when you understand the creative work of Christ. It's a wooing. It's an invitation. It's a joy. So look at this. Look at this passage in 16 through 18. I want you to notice something as I read 16. When you're reading God's word and within one verse, a phrase is repeated, it is a really healthy sort of interpretation to, to always go, if God's repeating something once, twice in the same verse, it normally means, um, hey, I'm trying to get something through your head and have you remember it, okay? 
It's his way of booing, like this is important. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. There are three phrases in this um, passage that emphasis on all things were created by him is to bring our attention back to Christ my creator. And there's three phrases. First, by him. All creation was by him. He's the originating center of creation. Everything is created within his person and his power. He's the great artist that has sculpted and formed and painted the beauty of the heavens and the beautiful particularity of the human being. By him, through him, he was the agent that actually did the creating. He wasn't like, hey, I got this idea. Can someone else make it for me? He's like, no, 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 I'm making it. I'm making it. John 1.3 says it, reinforces this. Apostle John wrote, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. There's another, like, interesting word order by John. But the clear message is, like, Jesus formed it all, and there's nothing that was made that he was not behind. Beautiful, through him, by him, through him. You've got to note those. And then the last one, for him. This is the turning point, this last phrase. There's lots of people in the world that believe by him and through him. They believe that God, this sort of like idea of God that they don't even have a particular reality or revelation of, they believe that he created. So they're with us on that, but they don't get to this last part. This last part is for him. This is, this is where worship begins. This is where my soul now begins to see my own purpose as we're going to unpack it. Look at this. Kenneth Barker painted this beautiful picture of what this means in a commentary I was reading this week. He wrote this, he said, creation is for Christ. That's the end. In the sense that he is the end for which all things exist, the goal towards whom all things were intended to move. They are meant to serve his will and contribute to his glory. This this is completely different than just believing that God is creator. This is believing that God has created for the purpose of glorifying Him. So I want to give you a picture of how this expands because the rest of this uh, 17 through 18 sort of unpacks it. Look at what he says. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. They should be praising Him. He's literally before all things, and He's holding all things together. Then verse 18, and He is head of the body, the church. He's the head. Anyone in any sort of leadership role in the church is under the head or they're disqualified from leadership. That's what this is saying here. He's got to be the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And look at this last phrase, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's a fancy word. You just write next to that fancy word, preeminent. It's a word we need to understand, though. The definition of preeminent is to be the first to have superior status. We were joking around with firstborns in the room. Sorry, 
there's really only one preeminent one, and that's Jesus. It means that he should have the highest authority. I, I, I checked. This is the only use of this word in the entire New Testament. It's reserved solely for this passage in the wisdom of God, pointing directly to the person of Jesus Christ as the creator. He might be preeminent. We love in the world of uh, sports, anyone who's fans, we love to talk about who's the greatest of all time. The, the sort of reference to that is who the goat is in any sport. And when you understand the supremacy of Christ over all things, you're like, he's over all of it. He's the greatest of all time over all of the greatest of all times. There's no higher authority. See, you can't share preeminence. You can't give it out and be like, I'll give you a little preeminence to you and a little preeminence to you. There is only one who is preeminent. It's found only and completely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I am fascinated with him. And his preeminence is announced and seen and illustrated again and again in the work of Jesus as we're going to see in the coming weeks. The highest authority over all disciples of Jesus Christ. The, the, the validating reality of your life as a disciple is does Christ have the highest authority at the end of the day? That's the validating reality of being a disciple. We have to surrender before His authority and we, we honestly should surrender willingly and joyfully. Is anyone, is anyone like me in this? When you, when you think about the reality of our world today, are you kind of like, I'm really tired of competing authorities that want to grab hold of, of, of my life. Any, anyone feel that a bit? in the midst of the world and advertising and friends and temptation and all of those things. Like, it's constant. It is a really wearying reality of this life. Because the authorities, they, they, they love to work to distract you. They want your attention. They want, to, they want to take your focus. They want to play to your fear. It's almost sometimes as if they seem to know exactly what sort of can push your buttons. They work to deceive your heart. Authorities are bent in our world. All the multiplicity of authorities that are on all of the realities around our world, all of the entities that exist um, so many of them, when you, un when you get to the base of what they're trying to do, they are trying to win your affection and your followership. These competing authorities. And they're bent, they're, they're, they're bent on getting your, your affirmation and your, your vote and your likes and your comments and your participation and your money. It never ends, does it? It's oppressive, honestly. And it's tiring, these competing authorities. They, in today's world, particularly of advanced algorithms, they are finding all sorts of ways to, to take all the information that can grab hold of your attention and putting exactly what you need. They literally are forming temptation by your actions online, literally. 
That's not a conspiracy theory. I promise you. And they're doing that to grab hold of your attention. It's why when you talk about something, you're suddenly you're like, why is that on my feed? Hmm. And, um, and so I, I want us to recognize this because they want to define you and they want to label you. And so quickly we tend to kind of rush towards that. And Jesus knew well before any online platforms, Jesus knew the temptation of competing authorities. And what I want you to see this morning is how he wants to protect you if you'll submit to Christ as your creator. Just process with me first. Christ created you with value. He gives great value to your life. You were created by Jesus. You were literally knit together in your mother's womb. And yes, we're sinful and we're broken and we're needing redemption, but you were created with value. Jesus created you and and Jesus doesn't make mistakes. It's why believing that a human life is nothing more than a random cosmic accident is an unbelievably destructive lie. If you reject God as creator, you're nothing more than like, you're just one random person in a world of 7.8 billion people. One out of 7.8 billion people. There's there's no significance and value that you can find if that's the reality except what you can try to like claw out of the world in an existence filled with brokenness and limitations. That's the best you're going to get. It's a life that passes so quickly and and 99.9% of people are forgotten literally two generations after they die. Is anyone surprised then why depression and anxiety in our culture is one of the most dominant struggles? I'm not surprised. I'm heartbroken, but I'm not surprised. But if, but if, but if, but if, but if you know Christ as your creator, everything can begin to change. Look, look, think about this, Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, Christ declares that, that not one sparrow, not the prettiest bird in the animal kingdom, not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from your father, and in the next breath, Jesus says, that even the hairs of your head are numbered, that's amazing enough, but then in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 10, he says this, which is sort of the main point, he says, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And into the emptiness of the lie, believing that you're a random cosmic accident, God literally opens the floodgates of favor and goodness and love and significance and value right into your life and what he says here. He says, fear not the the one who would feel like your life isn't of any value because you're just one of 7.8 billion people because God knows you and he created you and he loves you. And so don't believe the lies of a culture that is, that is so pathetically, can we just be honest, can I use that word? Pathetically. Like, like straining and stressing to claw out significance and value. Going to 
insane extreme measures to try to prove their worth and try to fit in with some group just to find some value and to find that it, that it literally is like Ecclesiastes uh, prophetically talks about. It's like chasing after the wind. Don't believe their lies. Don't believe the lies that that the world wants you to speak over your life when you look at yourself in the mirror. You are not worthless. No matter what's been done to you or said to you or what lie you've believed, you are not a cosmic accident. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Take this truth and recognize how it will shape the way you interact with everyone, including yourself. You are not worthless because Christ creating you has indwelt you just in being alive with infinite worth. The truth of Christ creating you gives you unquestionable dignity and value. Yes, you're broken in a broken world, but that doesn't have to be the last chapter of the story. Because in the gospel, what Jesus says, he says, not only have I, have I created you, but I still want to recreate you. And there's the beauty of the gospel story, is if God can create you, then he certainly can recreate you. And if you let him in, in the walk of faith, you, you can actually walk into new life that he can create. And he can take all your broken pieces and all your insufficiencies and all your struggles and he can redeem it by recreating it. Christ created you with value. And that should just cause your heart to go, I, I want to surrender before his authority. Second, Christ created you with purpose. Not only did he create you with value, he created you with purpose. And this is just sweet. Like instead of, instead of being this person that has to fight and scrap for significance in this world, surrounded by 7.8 billion other people, Jesus introduces you to the most compelling story and mission the world has ever known, and then he invites you into it. He turns what, what he does here that's, that's so wonderful is he turns your attention now from self to Christ. And what he does in giving you a purpose is he, he literally calls you in surrender. To, you, you, this is what you get to do. This is the privilege. This is the grace of the gospel. Is that you get to lay down all of that effort, all of that desire, all of that trying to claw your way to some significance and value. You get to lay it all down because, and you get to, you get called to the one purpose of making Christ known, of making Christ famous. You know what it's like? It's like, it's like you being a salesperson of something that, that really is passing relatively quickly and most people aren't going to really want like two Christmases from now. You guys know those presents, right? You're like, that was fun for like a moment. And trying to sell that when it, when it clearly doesn't have a long shelf life, and being able to lay that job down because you got invited to a job that is, you're going to be selling the most and communicating and being a, a, a spokesperson for the most ridiculous, enduring, eternity-changing reality in the whole world. You're like, I'll take that job, thank you. This job, I quit. And that move 
is what happens when you surrender before his authority. You're like, I'm not making much of myself. What, what, a, what a pointless move that would be for my life. I'm going to make much of Christ. That's a meaning and purpose way more than you could achieve on your own. The pressure is off your shoulders. It's not even about you anymore. And you're thankful because of that. Because you're deciding like John the Baptist declared that I'm going to decrease so that Christ can increase. Amen? And your purpose is transformed. Now, in the scriptures, you're called to be an ambassador. You can actually show people to Christ. You're like, no, 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 not me over here. I just want to get you to Christ. And you get to be used in that way. You're called a priest where, where you get to minister in the, in the house of God with the gifts that the Spirit of God has given you. You can be called an evangelist to actually share the words of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and call other people to faith in Him where their, literally their eternity can be transformed. Or you can chase after whatever purpose you want to claw out of this life. I've chosen to lay it down and the gospel calls you to do the same, that now I have an opportunity to be an ambassador, to be a priest, to be an evangelist. Do you understand what this does to your soul? That move. What it does to your soul. Christ created you with purpose, surrender before his authority. Finally this, Christ created you to follow him. As I was thinking about this, I, um, I just wrote this line down. I want you to see it. It's got a lot of R's. Sometimes I get going on certain words. And, but this one just, it stuck with me. It, look at this. Find redemption and restoration when you rest in the refuge of relationship with Christ. When I thought about this, that Christ created us to follow him, I, in the context of this passage and, and, and standing in awe of his supremacy and, and surrendering before his authority, what I, what I recognize is that when you surrender in the context of the gospel, it's this beautiful moment of sort of just like dropping everything and just sitting and resting in the refuge of Jesus. I, I think sometimes when we think about following Christ, we're, our, our first thought is the things we have to do and the, the things left undone or the things I have to do. We can get ourselves stirred up by, I've got to do more, I've got to do more, I've got to do more. And God's like, no, no, no. Your doing comes out of being. Just stop. Just stop for a moment. And you find redemption and restoration when you rest in the refuge of relationship with Christ. And I thought about other places in Scripture that talk about like one call, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father overall, one Lord, one authority. And I realized like the walk of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is intended not to add more complexity to your life. Something's awry with your discipleship, if that's the case. It actually is a simplifying of your life. Because you move from many potential authorities, like we were just talking about, uh, to just to one authority. And in our world today, we, we deal a lot with the anxiety just from how many choices we have. Anybody get to the end of the day and you, you, like, somebody asks you a question, you're like, I really don't care. And you actually do care, but you're just exhausted from caring that now you don't care anymore. 
right? Anybody with me? You're like, man, don't, don't let me go shopping at the end of the day. Like, get me out of here. Or I don't care, and then I'll be like, oops, later. And, and, and this process of discipleship is, is to simplify because, because Christ knows so lovingly that we're so easily seduced to follow other authorities. And it's way easier when you just have one choice to make. It's way easier when your heart is so easily deceived to just be like, no, 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 back to the one, back to the one, back to the one. That's the one I'm following. That's who has my authority, the authority over my life. My mind is so easily distracted. Back to the one, back to the one. Your flesh so easily tempted. Back to the one, back to the one. Part of living in a fallen world with a sinful nature is that those realities are the case, but what we understand in the gospel is those other authorities, they never satisfy They're always lesser in some ways, immediately or over time. It's just way more simple. And I think that in a season that has been uh, made complex by much, the greed and the pursuing and the more around Christmas can certainly be a competing authority. And into that, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus is like, just follow me. Let me just make it really simple for you because I know if it was more complicated than that, you'd screw it up. To which I would be like, yes, I would. And yes, I will. And yes, I have, Jesus. And instead, just to go, I'm just supposed to follow him. There's goodness in that. I want you to see it. I want you to see the goodness of it that Christ is calling you to, that he's saying over your life that I've created you with value and this is why we surrender before his authority, that he's telling us that he created us with purpose and that's why we, we submit or surrender under his authority. And Christ created you to follow him, surrender before his authority. Stand in awe before his supremacy, surrender before his authority. Christ, my creator, deserves the highest authority in my life and in yours. And so what we want to do now is we want to make our way towards communion. And this is a time um, that I want it to be um, where you can personally now sort of reflect these three R's, lots of R's today, reflect and remember and respond. Reflect, remember, and respond. And I left that last section for us to look at it right now, 19 and 20, this final sort of proclamation about God as creator, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. God's bridging the gap between our sin and his beauty and holiness, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, there's the rest part, by the blood of his cross. So as we process, as we remember together this morning, I want you to thank Christ for his work as creator. I want you to stand in awe of his supremacy and thank him for all he's done. I want you to surrender before his authority. I want you to ask the hard question, is Christ really my highest authority in all these areas of my life? Is he the highest authority? And I want to confess to God any places where other authorities have led us to sin or distraction. Thank him Thank Christ for creating a plan for reconciliation. Ask him to reconcile your heart back to him, making peace by the blood of the cross, the blood of his cross, his work. 
So communion servers can begin to come forward now. As the communion trays are passed, I want you to take the two cups with the juice and bread stacked on top of one another. If you're not a follower of Christ, please let the trays pass. I want you to hold on to the elements and spend this time remembering and responding to Christ. And then we'll take the elements together in just a few moments. You can begin to do that now as the worship team sings.